Amen. Amen. Good morning. Our kids are dismissed to Children's Church. It is a great time to be at Northwest. Amen. We had popsicles in the park this week, and uh, it was an exciting time. We had a lot of great people um, show up. We had a ton of people there. We kind of overwhelmed the park, but we got to invite a bunch of people here this morning. If you're here um, as, as far as an invite for that, we're, we're glad and certainly glad that you're here. We've got VBS next week. This is Hope's first VBS, Wave Hope. Say hi to everybody. And we are excited. She has done a fantastic job preparing for our children to be um, infused with the gospel and have a lot of fun doing it. And so I'm excited for that. <clears throat> it is Father's Day, and I'm blessed to have a godly father who sits right over here. And at the age of 46 years old, he fell on his knees and he said, Lord, I need you. I don't know a lot about you. I don't know a lot about what it means to follow Jesus, but I know that I need God in my life. And so that began a journey for our family in understanding this great God who loves us and the Lord Jesus Christ. He stepped up. And I'm thankful for each and every father in this room this morning that you are here. You could be anywhere in the world. You could be doing whatever you wanted to this morning, and yet you are here. You brought your family here this morning. And I hope this morning is an encouragement to you. I wanted to speak this morning a bit on fatherhood, a bit of biblical manhood as it relates to us as fathers but ladies, I'm, I'm going to speak on a passage which applies to you as well as the, as the whole church because the Bible calls for maturity of all the believers. One of the passages that, that shows this kind of maturity that God calls us to as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is famous. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may not be any longer children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I read that passage in length this morning because that's really what we're talking about here. I entitled the sermon, Step Up, but the reality is it probably should be entitled, Grow Up. The point is the church is made of a people who are to grow in their faith to be like Christ. No longer children tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine or human cunning or deceit of the enemy. 
but rooted and grounded as firm believers in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm very passionate about fatherhood. I'm, I'm very passionate. I'm, I'm not sure you know the statistics, but it is a great, large issue of our day. Many issues that we face in society today are a result of the fatherless generation. I'm going to give you some statistics. An estimated 24.7 million children, 33%, live absent from their biological father. Of students grades 1 through 12, 39%, or 17.7 million, live in homes absent from their biological fathers. If you go to any father, not necessarily their biological father, one in four children that you see in our community and in, in the United States of America don't have any fathers. Just to put that in perspective, among the children who are uh, part of the post-war generation, 87.7% grew up with two biological parents who were married to each other. Today, only 68% will spend their childhood in an intact family. With an increasing number of premarital births and continuing high divorce rate, the proportion of children living with just one parent rose from 9.1% in 1960 to 20.7%, more than doubled in 2012. Currently, 55.1% of all black children, 31.1% of all Hispanic, and 207 of all white children are living in single-parent homes. It'll be interesting with the new census data coming out, I believe, next year to see these numbers, but they relate to other numbers and effects of these children, homelessness, teen pregnancy, and suicides. If you're a single parent here this morning, I want to encourage you to be a part of the local body of believers, to be a part of a church that will wrap their arms around you and love you and your children. I can't imagine what it's like, and I want to say that we are we are in desperate need to help you, to love you, to walk with you. If you grew up in a fatherless home or you are growing up in a fatherless home, praise God that you are not just a statistic. Praise God you have a good father who is in heaven, who loves you, who shows you what a father should look like and what true love looks like. And praise God, we don't have to be disappointed by our heavenly father because man will fail us and our earthly fathers, they will disappoint us. And yet we have a heavenly father who loves us with an unconditional, righteous love. And this makes us even look greater and deeper into the good, good Father who loves us with a perfect love. And this is the Father's role. The Father's role for their children to point them to their heavenly Father, the good Father. The Bible speaks through this as the primary role of fathers in the home Parents in the home 
In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Every step, every moment, every experience as an opportunity to teach your children about the good God who loves them, who gave his life for them. I'm thankful for my father pointing me to a heavenly father, but it took him to get on his knees and surrender and say, I cannot do it alone. This morning, we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, the end of the the book of 1 Corinthians. When we were on our men's retreat, Not too long ago, Hans Dilbeck took this verse and he began to preach on this verse. And he began to share that he had his children, his boys, memorize this verse. And we began to talk about this verse and we went back to the cabin in men's ministry. And it is a summary of the book of 1 Corinthians. As Paul writes to this church, and if you know anything about this book, it is a broken church. They have lost sight of what they are doing. If you go through the book and and the study, you can see how a church can veer in the wrong direction even in the first century. And Paul writes to encourage them to go back to the basics, go back to the gospel, go back to being the church. And he issues that he addresses our substituting human wisdom for God's word. He addresses division in the church. He addresses selfishness in the church. He addresses immorality in the church. He addresses immaturity in the church. He addresses lawsuits among believers. He addresses perversions of marriage, divorce, and celibacy. He addresses misunderstanding of spiritual gifts and misuse of those gifts. And he also, above all, addresses the unloving church. And now Paul gives a summary of all of those things here in one verse, actually two verses, which we're going to read this morning. But he does this after he has given them in chapter 15, the life-transforming gift of the gospel in which we are being saved. And he says, this is what transforms us. This is what we base everything off of. Now walk in that. So we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. It's page 962 in your Bible. You can stand up with me as we read God's word, as we believe this is the true word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, Let all that you do be done in love. This is a summary of the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's be seated and we're going to pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word that is truth. And we we thank you for the encouragement of your word to remind us of the truths 
of the gospel to remind us of who we are in Christ, that we are made in the image of God, that we are created to live out life with God. Father, would you give us the grace that we need to fall to our knees and surrender our life to the one who loves us deeply. We thank you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's addictions all over the place in our world today, and there's an addiction that uh, most people don't talk about. It's a very real addiction. And uh, when we were in seminary, our next door neighbor, who had been um, a missionary overseas in Middle East, um, he started telling us about his own life and his own struggles that he struggled with. And his addiction was to online video games, specifically one video game called World of Warcraft. And I read an article and studied this a little bit this week, and uh, it was about a man who was willing to give up everything in his life for this game, this, this online video game. His name was Ryan Van Cleve, and he told the story of his life and how he, he, he began when his wife was pregnant with their first child and he, he, he had just landed his dream job at Clemson University and he began playing this game. He played one weekend through the whole weekend, not eating, sleeping, all the way through. And he began to be addicted to this fake or this faux life online. He began giving up everything in his life. He gave up his time with his wife, time with his kids, his relationships, his other friendships. He began to give up his sleeping, his eating, and then finally his job. And when he lost his job, his wife threatened to leave him. And he thought about at one point taking his life. Van Cleve says this, and I quote, Playing this game makes me feel godlike. I have ultimate control and can do whatever I want with few repercussions. He said, The real world makes me feel impotent. A, sob a sobbing child, a, a dead cell phone battery, a computer malfunction, the littlest hitch in daily living feels profoundly disappointing. I wonder if a lot of us in this room feel like this man sometimes. We just want to escape the false reality and which seems to interrupt the flow and go to something that we can control. This false reality instead of standing firm and acting like men. You see, Paul sees the Corinthian church as a church that unfortunately decided to act childish in their own life and with one another. 
And Paul concludes his letter by reminding these believers that the gospel is that Christ took on the sins of the world on the cross. He overcame the world by defeating sin and death, and now he lives inside of you. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Courageous. It's a Christian movie that came out a few years ago, and he, I've always wanted to do this. But he says in the movie, he said, where are you, O men of courage? Where are you in leading your family? Live in the power of the cross of Christ. You see, this is real life. This is the battle we are in. And Paul says, act like men. Step up to be the man of God and what you are intended to be. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. You see that first phrase, be watchful. These exhortations Paul gives to the church And again, it relates to both men and women, but in this context, we're talking about being watchful. This is our first point this morning. Be ready for battle. Be ready for battle. Just as the watchman looks over the horizon to see if there is an enemy coming, we as mature believers must not let our guard down even for a moment. The Greek word here means to be awake, to be on alert, to be alive, as opposed to being indifferent or asleep. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or you're 92 years old. You better be awake. You better be alert. You better be a watchful. This is a problem in many of our churches today, just as it was in the day of Corinth. Some of the people were returning to old habits. In the Corinthian church, some were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They perverted the Lord's Supper. And sometimes people have become complacent, comfortable, cozy. And in so, leaving the doors wide open for the enemy to walk right into their life and their family's life. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be ready for battle. I was uh, in Santa Cruz last week. You guys saw the video. Um, two weeks ago, I was in Santa Cruz and we, I was meeting with um, the church planter there, Drew, and we were talking about seminaries and different things. And, and I said, um, you know, this one professor who has made a delible impact in my life, he has invested in my life through his books, through his writing. I really enjoy reading his books. I said, have you gotten a chance to meet him because he's out in the Pacific? He, he pastors a church out there and he was teaching in seminary. I said, I said his name and, and he said, Oh, you didn't hear? He just resigned. 
from his position of professor and pastor and is seeking restoration for his moral failure with his wife. This has happened quite a bit in Southern Baptist circles. If you have paid attention, it has happened um, in many of our leaders recently and which have stepped down due to moral failure. They left the door open for the enemy to walk through. I want to read an excerpt from his letter on his website. This is what he said. Despite the profound grief and shame, I am deeply thankful to my heavenly Father for graciously exposing this sin and forcing me to turn from it. The promise that he chastises those he loves so that his children might share in his holiness gives me hope and comfort. My present and painful circumstances have become both to my wife and to me the gracious verification of God's fatherhood and my spiritual paternity. Church, if we, if we think that we are above temptation, we are not. We must be watchful. We must be. If you take the first Adam, the first man of God in the Garden of Eden, when he is in the garden, he knows the command that God has given him to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what does he do? He lets the serpent come into his family. He allows the serpent to tempt his wife, and he stands there and watches. Let me read for you this verse in Genesis 3.1. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. He was with her. Meaning he stood there And he watched as she rebelled, and then he joined into the rebellion. Step up, O man of God. Be watchful. Don't be unprepared to lead your family with grace and in truth. One of my favorite characters of the Bible is Joshua. He's an old man. He's fighting battles. He's leading people. This is what he says in Joshua 24, 15. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The next exhortation here. After be watchful is stand firm in the faith. This is point number two, be rooted in the faith. A number of years ago, the Lord showed me that if I was ever going to be used by him, I needed to be rooted in the word of God, firmly planted and delighting in the truths that God has shown to us according to his word. 
Church, if we want to be mature Christians, you must stand firm in your faith when the storms of life come at you, when the pleasures of this world come at you. You must stand according to the word of God, not the culture, not not what everyone else is doing around you, not the temptations that you face, but according to the word of God. We must know our God and the gospel of grace. You see, a church that stands together in faith, what can man do? What can man do? First Philippians 1.27, Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. I, I saw this, this, this happen this week and on Wednesday night where we had you know, countless people. I, I don't even know how many people were there, 70, 80, 100 people praying together and going into a park and saying, we're here to show God's love. We are shining a light in this park today. What can I pray for you about? One woman I... I talked to, I prayed with, she had no clue who I was. I didn't tell her who I was. And, and uh, as we were leaving, she came up and she was like, I'm coming to church. I'm coming. I've seen way too much about this church. This church loves people. I said, yes, we, we're excited to pray for you. I want your child to come to VBS as well. And I said, I'm the pastor. And she said, oh, the pastor prayed for me. And I said, great. You know, that is that is awesome. I'm excited to pray with you today. I hope she's here today. But I try and preach the gospel to myself every single day because that's what I need. I need the gospel preached to myself every single day, proclaiming the goodness and the grace of God, confessing my sin and, and confessing my lack of ability to do anything apart from Christ declaring my need for Christ and then praising God that Christ saved me, conquering sin and death. And when I leave, I walk out as a child of the King, knowing that I have been forgiven, that I've been offered grace, that I've been justified. And now someone who walks in the power of the Spirit, not of my own doing, but by the power of God. That is what my prayer is for us as a church. That every morning, every day, we would wake up preaching the gospel to ourselves, recognizing the need of Christ in our daily activities, in our daily life, that we are no, no, not above anyone or anything. 1 Corinthians 15.1, Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Stand in that every day. When it gets tough, when it gets mundane, when all seems to fall apart, what will you do? Will you stand? Where are you, men of courage? Rise up and act like men. That's the next exhortation here. 
from Paul, act like men. Be responsible with your actions. That's point number three this morning. Be responsible. I'm getting the R's in. I don't usually do this, but I am getting the R's in here. Be responsible for your actions. Be mature. Grow up. I believe Paul is actually referring to, in which he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He writes this in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And in this section, he's talking about love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is is unlike any love that we see in our world today. It's an unconditional, a God-filled love. It's not a superficial love. It's an agape love. It's a God-like love. It's It's a love that is only shown from people who are mature in their faith. And you know what he does here? He wraps it all in love. In verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. What does it look like to be a man? Our culture said something like this. It's the man who has the biggest muscles or the best athlete. Or as you get older, it's the man who has the most earning potential or the man with the most power. God says a man is a man who loves. There's a book called Manhood Restored, and I hope we we go through this in our men's ministry at some point. It's by Eric Mason. And he goes back to Genesis on what it means to be a man. And he goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27, in which it says that we are created in the image of God. He created him male and female. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, we are men and women created in the image of God. We are equal in God's sight. We are equal in value. And yet we are distinct. He created them male and female. In chapter 2, God says it is not good for man to be alone. You see, God created male and female to complement one another. They have different roles. And this book describes, and the Word of God describes these type of roles according to what a man should look like. And if you're, if you're at the dating age, women, you need to look at these five things I'm about to present to you because this is what a godly man looks like. And men... You need to look at these things because this is what God says according to the man, according to before even the fall of man. 
In the beginning, God gave man a job. In verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, he gave him a job to tend the garden, to keep the garden. Men, you are to lead in provision for your family. You are to have a job and to work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is before the creation of Eve. Number two, what a man looks like. He looks like a spiritual leader. Verse 16, he gave the command, as we've already mentioned, to not eat of the tree. He gave the command before the woman was created in verse 18. You are to lead your family spiritually. Number three, you are to be a leader in the romance. In verse, uh, I, I got to go back to Genesis. I should just camp out there for a while here. But in, in verse 23, after the woman is created from the man, the man says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man is doing the leaving, and he is doing the cleaving. He is also the one who is declaring her in a romantic poem. I think God kind of left out some things in here because this is the first time man is seeing woman naked, and so he's leaving things out. But you are to lead your wife in romance. Yes, Leader in provision, you are a spiritual leader in the home, and you are to lead your wife in romance. In there, he is saying you are to cleave to your wife. You are to protect your wife. You are to become one with her. So number four is protection. In Ephesians 5, Christ talks about this as laying your life down for your wife. In protection, number five, self-sacrifice, laying your life down down for her, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. So what does it look like to be a man of God? It means to provide, to spiritually lead, to invest, to teach your children, to teach those in your family, to lead in romance, to protect, to self-sacrifice, now, this is not a domineering spiritual headship. This is a Christ-centered headship. We talked about serving all last week. What it looks like to lead with Christ is actually to serve, to lay down your life. This is an empowerment to do what you ought to do. This is empowerment to be like Christ in your home. Now, many men have taken this and perverted this into a domineering headship and authority over their wives. And that is unlike what Christ has designed for his marriage and in the home. Domineering takes initiative for the benefit of oneself. A servant leader takes initiative for the benefit of others. And that's what God has called us to do. That, that's what it means to love. And so when he says, act like men, he's referring us back to the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, to love by providing, to love by leading, to love 
by romance, to love by protecting, to love by self-sacrificing. Love like Christ, step up. And the last one is to be strong. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, after act like men, he encourages the church to be strong. You get another R here. And the fourth one is be resilient in life. Be strong, be resilient. Guess what? To be strong is sometimes to be weak and to rest your full weight upon the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You see, it is the Lord that can do and can work way greater than you can. You see, someone who has surrendered his life to Christ and allows him to take full control of their life is someone who is strong in Christ, who has become strong by the power of the Holy Spirit. I shared a little bit about this story at the beginning, but you've heard it many times. My father is 46 years old. I was four years old at the time. He had achieved all that the world could offer. He had achieved success in business. He achieved financial gain. He had achieved power and authority. He sat in his office in New York City, the high rise, and realized he had all that the world could offer. Big family, big house. And yet he did not have the Lord. He knew that he could not continue without him. That began his journey, in which he said, Lord, I need you. And he literally walked, went down the elevator and walked across the street to a church. And walked into the church, got on his knees and said, I need you, Lord. I need you in my life. I don't know what this looks like but I needed to begin a journey and a walk with you. If that's you this morning, if you're that man who says, you know, I've achieved a lot in my life, but I have no joy. I have no satisfaction. And all I do is try and escape and childish things. And don't wait. You may not understand all that it means to follow Jesus. You may not understand all about the gospel. But as an opportunity this morning to stand up and act like a man, saying, I need Christ. And if you're the man who's living in sin, the man who I mentioned this morning who plays video games, your video games may be different. Your way of escape may be pornography. Your way of escape may be your hobbies. Your way of escape may be whatever it may be. And you're living in sin and you need a drastic change in your life. Act like a man. Come down front, get on your knees and say, I need the Lord in my life. By the way, this, this guy who played video games he said he was on the edge of a bridge. 
And he said that he got to the edge of the bridge and he said, I, I mean, I got nothing else to live for. And he said he walked away from the bridge, he went home and he said, I'm done playing video games. I'm done living that life. And he wrote a book on the addiction to video games. Now he helps video game addicts get out of there. He didn't mention his love for Christ, but the, the, the moral to the story and the point of the story is thus. You need to repent. You need to turn to the one who gives life. Admit that you need Christ. Admit that you're a sinner and that you need salvation. Seek the help we need. Men and women, it is our time to step up as the church of God to be the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, which you extend to us even if we are sinners. Father, help us to admit our sin, our need for Jesus, just like my father did many, many years ago, to say, I need the Lord. Father, there are many, many um, Christians and believers in this room as well who need to repent and turn from their sin, trust in the power of Christ, and allow Christ to heal them and make them whole. God, we pray right now for those people in the audience, those people that are here this morning, that you are touching their heart. And Father, we just pray that they would make a move, that they would begin a journey to seek help and restoration for their life, their heart and their minds that they would not be ashamed. Father, this may be the first act of courage that they've done in a long time. An act of saying, I need help. I'm not okay. And I need you to come into my life. Lord, we pray for that desperately pray that you would touch hearts by the power of the gospel of Christ. That God, you loved us so much that you would be willing to come and die for us, even though we didn't deserve that. You loved us in the midst of our sin. Your plan always was Christ. Father, as we begin to worship this song, we just ask that you would bring people that say, I need you. Jesus' name.